Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan Brand unis. I always got to bring that up because that's, that's, that's important. Listen, this is episode number three. The first two episodes were a huge success. I want to thank all the Bearcat fans out there for listening. I appreciate all the support. And it's amazing how much content that uh, the Bearcat fans really want, especially from former players. They love hearing from former players. Um, people like Chad Brindle, uh, Justin Williams, who I think do great work uh, for the Bearcat fan base. So make sure um, you guys subscribe to uh, Chad Brindle and Bearcat Journal and also The Athletic with uh, Justin Williams. Those two guys do um, excellent work. So let's go over uh, what's gone on so far. Episode one was was basically our introductory podcast to what we're going to do uh, with this podcast this season. Um, I reviewed the current roster, talked about different players, what I saw, um, how they could contribute. Um, episode two, we covered the Virgin Island tournament, which... Uh, Wow, that was an interesting experience. Um, some ups, some downs, highs, lows, whatever you want to call it. But I think at the end of the day, the Virgin Island Tournament, as we look back later in the season, um, will be an important part of our journey and success with this basketball team. So episode three, here's what we're going to cover. I like to talk about, and you'll hear this over and over, as a basketball coach, you look at a complete season broken down into many seasons thus far the bearcats the way i break it down have had three many seasons Uh, we're in the third part of the many seasons and we're going to cover the unlv game the vermont game and we're going to look ahead to the crosstown shootout now part two of our podcast will be an interview with a former teammate former Bearcat Charles Williams from South Central LA and I think he has a um, a great story because it's not very well documented what happened to Charles because he was at the university he disappeared he never played again um, and he's back in our community I think doing great work and I try to keep each one of these podcasts to 30 minutes but today um, it's going to be special because this podcast is going to be a two-parter. We're going to do uh, this first part, and then we're going to have the second part, um, an interview part. So it'll be a little bit longer podcast. And I think that's special because the Crosstown Shootout, uh, once-a-year game, the biggest game um, up to this point. Well, Ohio State was pretty big, but up to this point for the fans is one of the biggest games of the year. Now, all three um, of the podcast will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all that stuff moving forward. All right, so let's talk about this mini season that we're in right now. <clears throat> like I said, this is the third part um, of the mini season. So I looked at the OSU, Ohio State, Drake, and Alabama and AM games as the first part, the first mini season. The second mini season was the Virgin Island tournament. And then that leads us to today. Um, the Bearcats are six and two. Uh, I think we can easily be uh, eight and oh, and I'll explain that here in a second. But we're in that third mini season, uh, Vermont, or sorry, UNLV, Vermont, and then the Crosstown shootout. And I think we could easily be eight and oh going into this game uh, Saturday with the uh, Xavier Musketeers. And here's why. If you look 
at the two losses, Ohio State and Bowling Green. At one point in each one of those games, during a crucial point of each one of those games, we had the lead. We could have easily held on, especially defensively, made a couple buckets. We can be 8-0. Now, there's one thing to factor in. Um, if we beat Bowling Green, we would have played Nevada instead of Valpo. And, you know, I don't know if we beat Nevada. We could. Um, we could be 7-1. We could be 8-0. We could have beaten Nevada. Um, but it is what it is. So let's, let's jump into this UNLV game real quick. And I want to tell a, a, a quick story. In, in the, game of, uh, the game of basketball, just sports in, in general, I think is, is so cool because you get to meet so many different people um, through the game of basketball that you become friends with, that impacts your life. And like I said, part two of this podcast, we'll, we'll talk to Charles Williams. Um, and he and I have become very, very close and very good friends. And um, we're, we're, we're trying to do some great things here in the community. Um, but uh, there's a gentleman on UNLV staff. Uh, he's a grad assistant named Michael Kish. And I met Michael Kish just purely by by accident. So I'm in Las Vegas uh, this past summer, and I'm, I'm driving past UNLV, and I go, I've never been to UNLV. I need to go in there. I want to see the Thomas Mack Center. You know, I was a big fan with Jerry Tarkanian and Larry Johnson and uh, the, those, those great teams there um, at UNLV. Um, but I don't know anybody there. So I go online, I look at UNLV's roster, I look at the coaches, and I'm trying to do that six degrees of separation thing. I'm saying, do I know any of these players? Do I know any of the coaches? So I look at the roster, don't know anybody, look at the coaches, and I see Michael Kish, and he used to be at Arizona. A friend of mine who coaches at Arizona, I called him and I said, hey, do you know Michael Kish at UNLV? He goes, absolutely. And I said, hey, I'm trying to get into the Thomas and Mack Center. You think he'd show me around? He calls Michael Kish. Michael Kish calls me, says, hey, come on over. I go into UNLV, the Thomas Mack Center. He takes me all around, shows me where Jerry Tarkanian's office was. He takes me through the bottom where the locker rooms are and all the history there. I mean, just just amazing. And Michael Kish didn't know me from 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 anybody. And and Michael then tells me that um, his dad uh, coached football and coached at Arizona. And he, you know, was an interim head coach at Arizona. was was a head football coach. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. So Michael and I stayed in touch. Um, and it just so happens. Then later on that summer, we find out that UNLV is coming to Cincinnati to play the Bearcats. And so I text Michael, and I'm like, hey, you're coming to Cincinnati. You know, we'd love to host you. We'll, we'll, we'll grab, you know, lunch, dinner, and then, you know, hopefully the Bearcats beat you guys. So. Um, Michael and I keep in touch, and he comes in town, and you know the UNLV plays the Bearcats. We go out to breakfast, and come to find out, this is how small of a world this is. Michael Kish's dad, who was at one point the interim head coach at Arizona and has coached, um, gosh, college football, you know, all around the country, he actually started coaching high school football here in Cincinnati at Marymount High School. What a small world. And just that just goes to show you the game of basketball. Just you meet so many people and just just life in general. So anyway, let's jump into this game uh, versus UNLV. There were a lot, lot of things with this game. Um, 
you know, once again, another game this year where the Bearcats lose a lead. We go into overtime with UNLV, and we shouldn't have been in overtime with UNLV. Um, we end up holding on. But but there are a couple things that happened this game that I want to point out. Um, Mike Adams uh, was the, the, he played 29 minutes, had 10 points, only one turnover. Um, Chris McNeil plays 13 minutes, zero points. And Chris McNeil in the past has been our starting point guard. And, and, and Michael just came in and did a real solid job. And what, what happens is everyone on Twitter started you know, tweeting about or, or, or sending me tweets saying, should Chris McNeil be benched and Micah be the starting point guard? And and I know Chris has had a couple games where he's turned the basketball over. You know, I missed some free throws. Um, but there have been some stretches where he's been fantastic. And it's great seeing Micah step up and play really well. But this, in my opinion, is not the time to start Micah. My opinion is Chris McNeil needs to remain the starting point guard for the Bearcat basketball team. And there are a couple different reasons. One is leadership. And two, he's a veteran. And I think that plays into what I'm going to talk about shortly, going to the Centos Center and playing teams like the Xavier Musketeers. Now, I love Micah's energy. He comes off the bench, he pushes the basketball up court, and he really puts pressure on the defense. And I think... That is a great thing to have coming off the bench. So if you've got Chris McNeil, who has that leadership, and he's leading the basketball team, and you know maybe let's say in a game he struggles a little bit, you, you, you throw in Micah and he picks up the energy, he's pushing it, we're getting easy buckets. That's great to have coming off the bench. So I think Coach Brandon needs and the staff needs to continue to work with that unless – you know, Micah just starts playing extremely well. You know, Chris struggles a little bit here and there. But I, I think the best case scenario is to see that Chris Williams that we saw early. Um, I think he was fantastic versus Ohio State. Um, all my interactions with, with Chris have been fantastic. I think he's a great kid. And in fact, I'm going down to Bearcat practice tomorrow. And I'm hoping to talk to Chris and sit down with him a little bit and talk about how important he is to this Bearcat basketball team and how much we need him, especially Saturday. Let's talk about the play of Keith Williams. This kid is really starting to turn a corner. Played 34 minutes versus UNLV. Took 15 shots and had 14 points, 8 rebounds. And he should be, in my opinion, he should be a double-double guy every single game for the Bearcats. And I don't, I don't care if, if, if Jaron's playing and he's you know balling out, Javen's balling out, I still think Keith Williams should be a double-double guy. And could you imagine that with Jaron balling out, Javen knocking down threes, and you got Keith Williams being productive, being a double-double guy? We're going to be tough to beat. Now, here's, here's an issue that... I know Coach Brandon's staff is really working on, and that's the defense down the stretch. And that's been the difference with this team. Uh, we shouldn't have gone into overtime with UNLV. Remember that defense versus Ohio State? The Bearcats' defense was so tough, especially the first half versus Ohio State. Coach Holtman from the Buckeyes said that at halftime, Ohio State completely scrapped their entire offensive playbook because they couldn't run anything against the Bearcats. We were elite defensively. 
We've shown glimpses this season of being elite defensively. And I'm hoping that Bearcat basketball teams gets back to that elite defense on Saturday. Um, if you noticed, um, the young man uh, from uh, UNLV, Elijah, number 55, he had 29 points. He really kept UNLV in the game. If he didn't score 29 points, I think we definitely uh, um, blow them out. And I actually met Elijah this summer when Michael Kish, the grad assistant from UNLV, took me around the uh, Thomas and Mack Center. I got a chance to meet that kid, Elijah. And his brother actually plays for the uh, Pacers. Uh, his brother's name is Nas. Um, and fantastic kid, met his brother too. Um, he happened to be there working out. Uh, two really fantastic guys. So I'm um, glad my Bearcats won. Uh, glad to see the young man do well, have 29 points, but as long as they didn't beat my Bearcats. So that leads into the uh, Vermont game. Now, I was really concerned going into this Vermont game, and some fans saw Vermont that name Vermont, and they're like, who, who is Vermont? In fact, I think one guy tweeted at me like, Vermont has a basketball team? He hadn't even heard of Vermont. But I'm telling you, they're well coached, uh, they can shoot the basketball, and they definitely have a potential pro um, on their team. Now, the Bearcats show glimpses, I think, of really great stuff and started to turn a corner this game. And at one point, uh, I believe it was like around the 16, 57 minute mark in the second half, we were up 57 to 31. Now, this is the point, okay? We're up 57 to 31. This is the time when we need to put our foot on the pedal and, and we need to take off. And that happens defensively. We've got to continue to guard, get easy steals, and push that lead up to, I mean, it could have been a 30-point victory. We should, we, we should have blown them out of the gym. Um, and this is where I think the leadership comes into play. Players like Chris McNeil and Trey Scott need to be the type of leaders that in these situations, when we're up, 57-31 with 16-57 to go in the second half. These leaders are telling their teammates, come on, guys, we need to blow these dudes out. And they need to, on the court, Chris and Trey, need to exemplify that type of energy and, and, and will to win the basketball game because that becomes infectious. Uh, once again, hey, <laughs> Keith Williams – um, had another fantastic uh, performance, and I'm going to talk about Keith uh, a little bit more here uh, later in the podcast. But one thing I noticed, too, we need to get the ball to Chris um, vote every single time down the court. He needs to touch the basketball, and, and there are a couple reasons why. Uh, Chris is a willing passer, meaning if we throw him the basketball in the post, if he gets doubled down, he's willing to pass the basketball out which helps our perimeter players. So, for example, if Chris posts up pretty deep, okay, and let's say Javen Cumberland is the one that throws the entry pass to Chris, that guy that's guarding Javen, he can't go and double down. If he goes and doubles down off of Javen, Chris is going to kick it back out. That three-pointer's going up. Everybody's hands are going up. Three, splash. Now, if Javen throws it into Chris, when that guy doesn't go double down, Chris goes to work. And it's been proven. If Chris catches the ball low enough and at certain points on the block, he's going to score or get fouled. So we really need to get Chris the ball, I think, a lot more down there in the post. Uh, one thing I was concerned about 
in the Vermont game was the lack of production off the bench. Um, Harvey, uh, Jeremiah Davenport, uh, do they played, I believe like a combined 11 minutes and we need more, we need more production from these guys from the bench moving forward. Uh, it's a long season. Uh, there are going to be nights where other guys in front of them don't play well. They get into foul trouble. They get hurt. I mean, we've seen that. We've had guys injured uh, right and left. <clears throat> These guys need to be ready, prepared, especially – I keep bringing this back up. They need to be ready on Saturday. Uh, Jaron Cumberland. Um, you know, the, the one thing with Jaron – and sometimes our Bearcats are six and two. Um, some fans are are worried about this basketball team, but you got to remember, Jaron Cumberland, who is you know our best player, is an All American. He's had limited reps with this basketball team, not only in the preseason, but even during the season. He's not played the same amount of minutes other guys have played. Either you know, coach's decision, he sat him out, um, different injuries. So we've yet to see a healthy. Full go, JC. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know how much he's going to play on Saturday. He had a hip injury versus Vermont. Um, and, you know, my opinion in those situations, uh, if you can walk, you're going to play. So I, I would be shocked if uh, JC didn't play that game. Um, but, you know, once again, uh, we're up by a lot against Vermont, and we start to let the lead slip. Um, but, one of the good things that we did this game like we've done in the past, we gutted it out. We got the W. There were some very exciting moments uh, during this game. And, and you can start to see the offense. They're, they're starting to become more efficient. Um, the defense at moments was getting back to that elite defense. Now we needed to extend that out over the course of a game. More elite defense, more efficiency on offense um you know listen i was hoping we would be 2-0 in this mini season meaning beating unlv in vermont heading into the xavier game that was my goal uh, for this basketball team to be 2-0 going into the centos center so with that being said let's talk a little bit about the crosstown shootout um you know the Crosstown shootout has always been, a, a, I think, a different game for um, a guy like me because, you know, I grew up in this city. And, you know, when I played at UC, uh, a lot of the guys that were on my team are not from Cincinnati. Um, some of them were not familiar with the shootout. Um, Kenyon Martin being from Dallas, Texas. Um, other guys being from other areas in the country were not as familiar of how important this game um, is to the city. So when they when they get involved in that game and in that environment, they're like, whoa, this is intense. But it's a great game and it helps prepare teams, um, whether it's Xavier or UC, for that tournament play at the end of the year, they can draw back to that atmosphere and playing with that type of pressure um, that they do in the shootout. They can, when, when they get to the uh, NCAA tournament, they can draw back to that. Um, so I, I wanna talk about, um, I remember back in, in 1997 when, when I'm playing for the Bearcats and we're getting ready to play Xavier and uh, we're playing at the Cincinnati Gardens. Um, and for those that remember the Cincinnati Gardens, um, it wasn't the greatest um, gym in the world. Um, in fact, there were uh, dead spots on the court and it just so happened the dead spots were like near the corners of half court. And so what Xavier would do is they would press you. 
and they would press and push you to those dead spots. And for those teams that weren't familiar with those dead spots, you would literally get pressed, dribble to the dead spot, and lose the ball. Because there was a dead spot in the court. Now, keep in mind, this is 1997. That doesn't happen in 2019. Most of these courts are you know, high level, but there were, there were actual dead spots. And I remember being in warmups and going to one of the dead spots, and Coach Huggins knew about these, and dropping the ball, and the ball didn't bounce back up. So it, it, that was one thing that we had to prepare for. Do not dribble to that corner. So we were uh, four, I think we were four and one going into the shootout that year. Um, the game before the shootout, we played Wright State. Um, we beat them, played pretty well. Um, but I, I tell everyone the story. This is kind of a, a funny story. Um, prior to the shootout, um, my roommates and I, we were all at the mall. This was actually before the Wright State game. And we're at the mall, and there were all these uh, socks, and they were for soccer players. And so there were these real long socks that you pull up over uh, shin guards. And there were a pair of black socks, and they were long. And I'm like, man, that'd be crazy to wear with our black uniforms. And really, I had never, ever seen anybody wear long black socks. Uh, Ryan Fletcher, uh, my teammate at the time, he pulled his socks all the way up, so he had long white socks. And I'd never seen anybody on the basketball court wearing long black socks. I mean, the Fab Five wore black socks, the Nike ones, but they were short. But there were no, like, long Nike socks anywhere. They were just soccer socks. So I went and bought them, and I wore them the right state game. So <laughs> I remember coming out uh, of the locker room, and I'm wearing these long white socks, and my teammates are like, what are those? And I'm like, I mean, these soccer socks, man. I, I, I bought them at the mall. And... So a couple of the players were like, yeah, we, we need to do that. We need to wear those for the uh, Crosstown shootout. So true story, uh, a bunch of my teammates um, all went out looking for these black soccer socks. Now, the funny thing is a lot of them couldn't find the soccer socks that I had. So what they did was they went to TJ Maxx and they bought long dress socks. So if you go on Google... And you look at images from the Crosstown shootout in 1997 and see Melvin Levitt, you see Kenyon Martin, they're all wearing long black dress socks like your dad would wear to church. <laughs> so, I mean, they were pulling them up. They had holes. They had, Of course, they had their other socks underneath there, but they had holes in them because they were so thin. Man, I, I will never forget that that story. I mean, I think almost the entire team besides Ryan Fletcher had these, you know, long uh, black socks, which um, actually I can't take full credit for them. My uh, roommate, uh, Sam Dunn at the time, told me to buy them and, and wear them. He thought they would be pretty cool. So that's a funny story. So anytime you see that image of Kenyon Martin shooting that jump shot in the Crosstown shootout wearing long black, black socks, those are actually church socks. So just a little uh, little story right there. But, you know, we, we go in there and, and, and play Xavier. We played horrible. And, uh, and I tell fans this all the time, that week or – Days leading up to the Xavier game are some of the most intense games because it's so very, very important to these coaches. And you got to think, back in 1997, 
Coach Huggins recruited this area a lot. And it didn't look good if we lost to Xavier in terms of recruiting in the area. It was important that we beat Xavier. So Coach Huggins was locked in. And when it came to the Crosstown shootout. Um, and unfortunately, um, we just didn't play very well. We lost 88 to 68. And I will never forget going in the locker room after we lost to Xavier. And they put us in, I mean, that locker room we were in was the worst dungeon um, I've ever been in in any basketball gym in America. And I remember being in that locker room and Coach Huggins went around and he basically ripped every player. He ripped the managers. He ripped the doctors. He ripped everybody. Um, he told me that I didn't, I didn't do well in practice. I didn't push the starters. That was my job. I mean, he just he ripped every single person. And I will never forget when he did that. And how we came back that next practice and the intensity at that next practice was so high. We went on to win our next 10 games. We won 10 in a row. In fact, we went 27 and 6 uh, that season. We only lost six games. And we didn't lose many um, after that shootout. And I, I really think that how we played poorly at that, how we played in that shootout, and coming back, those next practices with that energy really helped us uh, the rest of the season, especially going on and winning, um, you know, 10 games in a row. Um, you know, and, and one thing I will never, I will never forget is when UC was number one in the country and um, we lost to Xavier at home and Lenny Brown hit that shot to beat the Bearcats when we were number one in uh, 1996. And um, our special guest, Charles Williams, who's coming on a little later, um, was a big part of that game. And he's going to talk about um, um, a low moment in that game. Okay, so now I want to talk about what we need to do to win the Crosstown shootout. There are a couple things that I, I, I really think. Now, this game, listen, this game is so wacky. I can sit here and tell you, here are three things I think we need to do to win the basketball game. And three things completely opposite can happen. It's just because this game is so wacky, you really never know um, what's going to happen. But I think um, being efficient on offense to start. I mean, if you look at um, the last couple shootouts, how we come out of the gates is very, very important. The first couple offensive sets we run, being relaxed, Chris McNeil getting us in our stuff, and running good sets, getting some easy buckets. I remember a couple years ago when we played at Xavier, we went in there, we could not score for, it seemed like forever to start the game. Um, that can't happen this game. We can't be in the Centos Center and get behind. We've got to run some Easy, get it down to Chris to start the game, try to get some easy buckets, maybe get to the free throw line, kind of, you know, um, get those nerves out of the way. We've got to rebound defensively, and here's why. You always need to rebound defensively, but specifically with this team because Xavier's not shooting the ball very well from the perimeter. I don't know what the percentages are. I think from the three-point line, they might be at like 20%. But what they are doing very well is they're getting second, third chance off, the off, off, the, uh, off their offensive rebounds and scoring again. So we need to rebound at a high level defensively. 
The other thing is we need to contain the runs. All teams go on runs. And so there's something in, in, in basketball coaching, most coaches will know what I'm talking about, and that's either if you're on offense making a 6-0 run, and if you're on defense basically not letting them make a 6-0 run. So we need to keep Xavier's run runs at a minimum. We cannot let that Senta center crowd get rocking because the Senta center – is a very very tough place to play at. I don't know what their record is in that in that gym, but it's damn good. So we also um, need to keep their best players. Okay, so their best player, and I heard Coach Brandon say this. One of the goals is their best player. He wants us to contain. He wants the Bearcats to contain the best player. And and, and how he says it is. He doesn't want them to score more points than the shots they take. And what that means is, let's say their best player, Najee, has 16 points on 16 shots. 18 points on 18 shots, keeping them at a minimum. And I think if we can definitely do that, that will be a key point to winning this basketball game. Players to watch in the game, uh, Jaron Cumber, Cumberland, obviously. Um, I hope he plays. I hope he's very productive. In the past, he's been very, very productive in the Crosstown shootout. Um, Big Chris down low, I think he's going to be an important piece. I tell you, we're going to miss Big J, the other big guy, because I think he's a big guy. I would love to throw in there. He doesn't do a lot of things offensively, but he can guard in the post, rebound the basketball, give up some fouls. But uh, I think Chris is going to be a big part. And Javen, too. I think when you know Xavier makes some runs, uh, Javen can come down and hit that big three to kind of cut that run. Uh, I think he definitely really pay attention to Javen being an important key uh, piece when Xavier's making runs. And then Chris McNeil, Chris McNeil controlling this game. He is going. This I'm going to tell him tomorrow at practice. He's going to be so very important in this game, keeping the team relaxed. Trey Scott's got to be a leader also because he's played in this game more than anybody else. He's got to keep everybody relaxed. Uh, my prediction is the Bearcats go to the Centos Center and win, get John Brandon his first victory um, as a Bearcat coach in the Crosstown Shootout. Uh, I, I'm terrible at predicting scores. I, I'm so, I'm so bad at that. I, I don't know. I could say this would be a, a game in the 50s, and and it'd be a shootout. It'd be in the 80s. So so who knows? Um, my prediction is the Bearcats win on Saturday. So let me dive into uh, one of my last things, and that is uh, the, my beast of the week. Um, before I gave the beast of the week to Big Chris, uh, Big Chris down low, he was killing it on the boards. Uh, he was scoring points. He was playing really well. Um, but in this second part of this mini season, my beast of the week definitely is Keith Williams. And Keith's playing about 30-plus minutes a game. He's attacking. He's not scared to shoot the basketball. Um, you know, he's really stepped up when others have been injured and not playing well. Keith has really stepped up for this basketball team. Um, and, and I think the key for Keith um, – AKA, I call him BK. I call him Brooklyn Keith. The, the key for BK is to be aggressive defensively. And when he's aggressive defensively, that leads to confidence offensively. And on the offensive end, he's even more aggressive. So I'm looking for that at the Crosstown shootout. I'm looking forward to this shootout because 
This is going to be a different one. We've got two different coaches roaming the sideline, Travis Steele and John Brannon. Uh, it's going to be a different feel. I'm super excited to see what the outcome. I'll be there. Uh, matter of fact, I'm just coming from the uh, Skyline Crosstown Shootout VIP party downtown. It was a great event. Uh, both Travis Steele and uh, Coach Brandon spoke. Um, every, it was a packed house. Everybody was uh, definitely excited for this game. Dan Horde was there, uh, Tom Sunderman, um, their uh, radio staff. So that, that was really good to see. So I'm excited for the game. Um, I've given you my thoughts. And now what I want to do, I want to get into the second part. I think people will really enjoy this, but my second part of the podcast is my interview with my former teammate, former Bearcat, Charles Williams. Welcome back to part two of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Now, like I said, from time to time, we're going to have some special guests, and those special guests could be former players, they could be fans, they could be former coaches. Today... I'm happy to have as our first special guest, one of my former teammates, former Bearcat basketball player, Charles Williams. Charles, what's going on, man? Oh, not much, man. I appreciate you having me. Man, I, I'm excited to have you on because I think your story is very, very unique. And I don't think it's very well documented. Like a lot of people don't know your full story. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I think a lot of things that you're doing today are a result of your journey. Would you agree with that? Agreed. So tell everybody, what are you doing right now? Um, well, I run a AAU program called Midwest Takeover, um, but mostly Cincinnati-based. Uh, we have kids from Columbus, Dayton. Uh, we do a lot of community service work, which is a part of you know what I've grew up, grown up doing. Right. Um, so that's big with our, our families. Um, we're really big on finding the right type of kids and families, not just talented people. I know that. Yeah. So tell everyone what years you were at UC. Uh, 96 to 98. 1996 to 98. Okay. All right. So now that everyone knows what you're doing now, we're kind of going to go through your story. So, so kind of like the Pulp Fiction deal. We're going to start with the ending. and Not to say this is your ending, but yeah. we're going to start with that, then work our way through. So take us back to young Charles. Okay. You grew up in California. Give everybody the specifics. Uh, well, I grew up in South Central uh, L.A. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I always had a dream of getting out of South Central. Um, it wasn't the best neighborhoods that I grew up in. Uh, a lot of, you know, drugs, gangs, um, murders. Um, and I always had a dream, you know, to play college basketball, <laughs> regardless of however I had to do to get there. Um, you know, I wasn't that kid who had a, a nice AAU team to rely on and those kind of stats. Right. I didn't have a, a powerhouse high school I went to. Um, I kind of just watched, you know, TV back in the day with Magic Johnson and those guys. I watched in a big Lakers um, fan. Oh yeah. Well, okay. I, I used to be. I okay. used to be. Um, and you know, went out and practiced and all that good stuff, and you know, I ended up with a scholarship to UC. So paint a picture for everyone. A lot of the people that listen to this podcast are Bearcat fans, and they're from Cincinnati. Mm. And I think a lot of people know about South Central through the movies, yep. right? There were a lot of movies that, that documented, I think, the time that you grew up, the music, 
NWA and yep. um, Ice Tupac, Cube, yep. Tupac. Yep. Um, paint a picture for what it was like in the environment in which you grew up during that time. I know you said drugs and gang violence, but just kind of paint a picture for those that are that are listening that maybe grew up in this city that really didn't experience that. Yeah, so I grew up um, in between um, two Crip gangs that were rivals and um, a blood gang. Um, so getting to school every day was kind of a, a journey. Um, I didn't walk anywhere. I jogged uh, most places so I could wow. get um, to school, um, to gyms. We didn't have a car, so it was you know me learning how to navigate the streets. Um, at an early age, I, I knew you know what avenues to stay away from, what, what streets to avoid. I had uncles who were involved in gangs, so they made sure that you know my basketball talent was nurtured in a way where I didn't get in trouble on the streets. Right. Um, you know, I saw a lot of crazy stuff. Um, at age 12, I got shot in the knee. Um, wait, 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 wait. So, so what happened? Um, there was a, a gang war in our neighborhood um, between the 60s and the, I grew up with A-Trays. Uh-huh. Um, and they were aiming at a couple other people. I happened to be sitting on a brick wall between two people. And the person to my left and the person to my right got killed. And my knee was scraped. I came out of, of the fine otherwise. Wow. Yep. Wow. So a lot, of, a lot of people don't understand that. Like, you know, we can watch, um, you know, basketball, football and different sports and you'll, you'll see people on the field or court and you just don't know what they've been through, yep. what they've gone through and, and the type of environment that they had to um, live in. Um, and, and sometimes I think, and one of the reasons I love having you on is, is so that fans can get an understanding, even when they watch the Bearcats now, and they watch maybe some guys that came from similar environments, mm-hmm. they can have a better understanding of those guys instead of maybe even judging them or you know feeling a certain way about a certain player and understand that their environment, which they came from, some of the behaviors and how they are are a result of that. Yeah, everybody has a different journey, and uh, it's easy to you know um, look at somebody and like you said and just judge them without getting to know their story. Uh, which is why, you know, in our organization, I always try to get to know all of our kids. Everybody doesn't have the same circumstances. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of people sometimes when I was coming up, especially when I got to Cincinnati, um, they hear the words South Central, and they're like, oh, my God, you know, like, what, you know, are you in a gang? You this, you that? I'm yeah. like, no, nah, it's not like that. I mean, you know, everybody had their struggles, but you have to judge me who I am now. Yeah. And, and a lot of that had to do with, with when people say, are you in a gang? You know, a lot of, for the rest of the country, the the picture that was painted was the movies they yeah. saw you know the movies are actually light compared so, to yeah, to what was going on for sure yeah and then you had you know Eazy and and Cube and those guys who you know they you know lyrically painted a picture of what it was like and in some ways they had to um, because of the record label they wanted them to over dramatize what yep. was going on so then so then i think a lot of people's perception if charles williams come in and he's from south central oh he's got to be a bad dude yeah yeah it's it's there definitely are stereotypes um but it's you know sometimes it's up to me to break those stereotypes sometimes Absolutely. i just let people think what they think i mean people are going to judge you regardless of who you show you are so you just try to be the best person you can so why did you choose basketball um you know, honestly, the shorts and track were too small. So, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I love the um, the competitive nature of basketball, working as a team, 
Um, I had friends who played, you know, before me who really pushed me towards it. And then I grew up in the Boys and Girls Club, yeah. um, which was a big influence on my life. So and they, they really did a good challengers. job. Yeah, challengers. Yeah, um, challengers, which, you know, a ton of kids from Wessel Westbrook to uh, James um, Harden. You know, James Harden and a couple, you know, a lot of people came out of the um, Challengers Boys and Girls yeah. Club. Um, and Challengers is right in the middle of a, a couple of different gang neighborhoods. Uh, but they, you know, it kind of um, boxed us in. People knew not to mess with the Boys and Girls Club. Yes. Yeah. Safe haven. Yes. So let's talk about getting to high school and, and being, you know, talk to them a little bit about your, your high school career. What high school did you go to? I went to Manual Arts for my first couple of years, and then I transferred um, to Antelope Valley okay. um, for my senior year. Um, like I said, I lived um, about a mile and a half, two miles from where I went to high school, which was right across the street from USC. Um, the problem is, it was like I said, it was one side of the street, it was all bloods, and the other side was all crips, and I'm coming from a whole different neighborhood. So a lot of times, if I didn't have bus money, I, I jogged um, to school and away from um, campus to get home, um, you You're know, crazy. kept me in shape. Kept you in shape, so, I'd say so. So I, I wasn't worried about, you know, that piece of it. It was just, you know, if you leave out of practice or you get home late from a game, um, nine o'clock at night, you know, anything could happen. Yeah. So uh, what type of high school player were you? I was pretty good. You know, I had decent stats. I averaged about 30 points a game um, my that's, senior year. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'd say that's better than me, but yeah. Yeah, I was decent, but, um, you know, again, I didn't have, you know, the hype machine behind me. Um, I didn't I didn't play for, you know, a major AAU club or anything like that. I just was a kid who grinded, and I had a dream to get out of South Central, and I made it. Yeah. Okay, so you're a senior in high school, um, good basketball player. Um, you start to get recruited. Talk to us about that process and what you chose to do. Um, well, right out of high school, I had quite a few uh, schools recruiting me, but um, I didn't qualify academically, so I had to go to a community college. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was – community college is a grind. Um, it's not for everybody. What do you mean uh, by that? It's just, you know, you we had a, a four-bedroom apartment with, like, eight guys living there. Mm. Um, and which one did you go to? Chafee. Okay. Um, it's about forty. It's in Ratchet Cucamonga, about forty-five minutes outside yeah. of uh, L.A. Yeah. Um, you, if you've seen Friday, Friday. You, you've heard of yeah. Ratchet Cucamonga. Next was that um, next Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, we had some some hardcore guys on that team. Uh, so a lot of guys that I grew up with who were still in gangs um, today. At the time. Yeah. Oh, ba yeah. oh, back then back, they were back they then. were in gangs when they were playing. Yes. Yes. Yikes. So it was um, it was definitely interesting. Yeah. So what happened from there? Um. My freshman year, I was freshman All-American. My sophomore year, I was the rated number one point guard in the country. Um, and uh, actually, uh, I was committed to Fresno State when Jerry Tarkanian was there. Mm -hmm. um, but they had a they had a real crazy team with um, Chris Heron, who, yep. um, if you know his story. I do. Um, we, they had Rafer Alston. They had a couple other guys that were really good. But the, the drama on that team was crazy. Um, so he actually told Bob Huggins about me. Um, and he came to watch me. And I ended up here. Okay. So you get here to the University of Cincinnati. Um, well, what, what made you decide on the um, Bearcats? I, you know, I visited a lot of places from UK to uh, UCLA, um, St. John's. Um, I just felt like here we had a chance to win a national championship. Um, I, I always thought about a place that I wanted to live after college was over. I didn't have any NBA dreams or anything like that. I just wanted to make sure – 
you know, college was taken care of. Um, and it seemed like a city where I could thrive in later on after basketball was over. So who were some of the guys when you um, came to UC were here? Um, we had Darnell Burden, Damon Flint. Um, I came in with the same recruiting class for Ruben Patterson and Kenyon Martin, um, Dewan Baker. Um, Bobby Brandon was on that team. Uh, Ryan Fletcher, loaded. Roger Monroe, yep, yep, Terrence yep. Davis. Loaded. So, yeah, we were loaded. So that, that first year, um, how'd that go? Um, it went all right. We had some ups and downs. Um, I think it was the fourth game. We were playing Xavier, and I lost the ball at the end of the game. So Hold that, because yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit later, because the Crosstown shootout is this Saturday, yep. and I do want to dive into that, because yep. uh, there's some details to that I want to talk about. But just in general, that whole first year, how'd that go for you? It was interesting. We had a lot of ups and downs. Um you know, I, I actually didn't even get to finish the season. Um, there was a investigation into like eligibility between myself and uh, Ruben Patterson, um, but you know, it was just a just a weird season. We had we had the talent to do a lot of things, but we just kind of fell short. So, what game? How many games did you end up playing? Do you remember? Maybe twenty two, twenty four, somewhere in there. Okay, so when the investigation happened, how'd that come about? Did, did Hugs sit you down and say? You know, he, he kind of, um, man, it's been so long. I think he told me um, investigators wanted to speak to me, and I, you know, I was going to go to the conference room. Um, and they, they told me I would be back on the court within you know, a day or so, and I'm still waiting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So what happened with that? Um, she's... They said I took money for a plane ticket and, I don't know, a Bengals game or something like that back then. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember all the details, but it was something like that, and I had to pay restitution, which I did, and you know, still didn't get a chance to get back on the court. So I, miss, I actually ended up missing the NCAA tournament that year. And that's crazy because there there's so many things going on currently. Mm -hmm. So if we look back, what was that, 1996? 1997, yeah. 97, and fast forward to 2019, and we're looking at players right now yep. going through similar things. Yep, same issues, same issues with, um, you know, kids accepting money or, you know, trying to get, you know, everyday <clears throat> expenses paid for. You know, yep. um, scholarship doesn't cover everything. I think a lot of people have a misconception about that. Um, you know, you, you can't do basic things, you know, going out with friends, washing clothes, you know, all of that stuff costs money and we just don't have the means to it. Yeah. How'd you feel when all that was going down? Like, I mean, obviously that affects you as a person basketball wise, mm. but how were you feeling at that time? Mm, it was a little bit of a struggle because I didn't, obviously not being here, I didn't have, um, a deep support system. Um, I watched a lot of people who were, I thought were close you know kind of back away so that was interesting um but it didn't it wasn't a surprise i should say uh, just deal with it and you know you keep moving forward so okay um now going into the next season yep. um then i come in yep. and we were teammates i came in as a as a walk-on and um you were there for a short period yep and as i remember this um there's a funny story for you when we would practice, this is no joke, when Huggins would start yelling and screaming, Charles would do push-ups and crunches. And I would look at him like, 
I mean, he would do through the course of a three-hour practice, I, mean, I felt like he did like a thousand push-ups. And I'm like, man, I need to start doing some push-ups or something. But Hugs was like, stop, stop, hold up. You all need. There goes Charles. Push-ups. You remember that? Yep, yep. Uh, it, that's a, just an L.A. thing, to be honest with you. We, um, I don't know if it's something here, but you get dice out, you roll the dice, and you see how many push-ups you can get in a short amount of time. So I just became a habit of doing that practice and keeping myself focused. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of that. No, that's an L.A. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you were, you were, uh, we were teammates uh, for a short period, and then you were gone. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, Charles, there was never an explanation to us to why you were gone. Yeah. And, you know, you look at 2019, there's there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's all these social media outlets where there are articles and you can read who's doing what, this and that. We can find out the story of what's going on. We didn't have that. There were, there were newspapers and we, we weren't walking to go pick up and read a newspaper. So we didn't know what was going on yeah. with you. And, and at that point, I probably was a little shut down. So um, I didn't really explain anything either. Um, I've been getting mixed messages on the timing of my, you know, return to the team and if I wanted to transfer, which I had opportunities to do, but I wanted to be here. So, I, you know, I just felt like I was being jerked around. And by the time the first semester was over, um, I hadn't played any games. They kept telling me, you know, you're going you're gonna to be back soon. You're going to be back soon. But it never materialized. So by the end of that semester, I decided to go back home. So was it um, the NCAA? Was it? the University of Cincinnati or a combination of the two in regards to like jerking you around and not? I think it was a combination of the two. I okay. mean, I honestly never got a, a definitive answer on what was going on. So you go back home mm. and what do you do? Man, that was rough. So the, um, I basically tried to find myself that first three months. I didn't have a plan. I expected to be here. So I you know, kind of just grinding and working. <laughs> Um, Did you think you were going to come back? No, I didn't think I was going to come back. You knew it was over. Yep, yep. I, I knew at that point it was going to be over. You know, I had pretty much lost passion to play the game, so I had to figure out, like, what my next steps were. And um, from there, I actually started working at a boys and girls club, ironically. Um, and then that gave me passion to work with kids. Um, a buddy of mine was running a, a child services program here, so he asked me to come back um, and work with them in a young father's program. Um, and then that was, you know, good for me to be around the kids and seeing kids who were kind of growing up in similar situations, being able to help them. And that brought you back here? Yes, for temporarily. So I, I came back for like a year. Um, then I ended up moving to Vegas. Right. I remember that. Yep. I remember when you moved to Vegas. Yep. So uh, before you moved to Ve Vegas and you were back here, were you bitter and upset with the university? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, but... I didn't know who to be bitter with, so it was kind of like just this big entity, you know. I didn't. There's no face to it. Um, it's just you didn't know who to be angry with. Yeah. So I felt like at that point I didn't have a support system, like I said before, um, other than my godmother. Um, but you know, everybody else was just uh, just faces to me at that point. Yeah. Any conversation with Coach Huggins? No, not really. Just um, kind of high and by through the years I've seen him. Um, you know, different functions from Nike clinics to, um, you know, AAU games and all of that. We still say hi, and, you know, there's no bad blood there on my part. Yeah. Uh, okay, so talk to us about Vegas. You go out to Vegas. Yep. So um, I moved to Vegas and started coaching community college basketball. 
Um, and then I had a chance to, you know, do some like overseas tours playing again. Um, actually, uh, playing, you know, coaching our community college guys got me the juices flowing again to play. Um, ironically, we had um, Ron Artessa's little brother uh, on that team, and he was a dog. He, he, he was a beast. Danny, what was his name? Danny Artest. Okay. I've um, never heard about him. Yeah, he, he was built like him, looks like him, a little bit, a little bit shorter. Um, same attitude that Ron used to have. <laughs> oh boy! Yep, so yeah, before but, Meta World Peace. Yeah, yeah before <laughs> yeah. So it was um it was interesting, but he you know good kid. We had a, a bunch of kids from um you know throughout the Midwest. I think we only had one or two West Coast guys. Um, and I coached with uh, George Tarkanian, um, Jerry's son. son. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. So we uh we did that for uh, about three years, and then the program was ended up being shut down um, due to funding. So, you know, at that point, um, again, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I ended up moving back here um, part-time just to see what my next steps would be. And this was probably 2004 or 5, somewhere in there. So why would you keep coming back to Cincinnati? What Um, what was it about the city? Like I said, when I originally chose to play here, I I was looking for a place where you can make home, Um, not just picking a school for basketball. Uh, I, I talk to my kids about that all the time. Basketball only lasts so long. Um, there's only, you know, NBA, what, 460 jobs. Um, everybody thinks they can go play overseas. It's not easy. So you need to be thinking long term when you do choose a school, and that's what where my mindset was. Um, you know, so, you know, nice family values here. Um, you can commute. You can be almost anywhere in 20 minutes. Um, what they call traffic here is just somebody <laughs> who doesn't know how to merge. So, it's, you know, it's <laughs> I just – yeah, the traffic here is a lot different no, than the traffic in L.A. No, it's not even close. You right. know, you've been to L.A. You oh. sit on the 405 for two hours and be go eight miles. <clears throat> Can I tell you a funny story? So um, I'm in L.A. and I have a rental car. And you know how, like, you, you get used to driving your car. Like, you know where the speedometer is, the gas. Me- so I've got a rental car, and it has a digital um, gas reader. Yeah. So... I was driving around L.A. doing my thing, and I didn't even pay attention to my gas tank. So I had a meeting at 4 o'clock, okay? I'm in North Hollywood, and I've got to drive. Um, I'm meeting a guy from um, the media over, uh, gosh, I think it was um, near Universal Studios. So not too far. So I get on the highway, and I'm stuck in traffic, middle lane. And traffic starts to move. I hit the gas pedal. Nothing. Mm. I ran out of gas. 4.05. I had to be at the meeting at 4, so it's 3-something in the middle of the 4.05. Man, man, you... I'm like, these people are about to kill me. Honking, people cussing me out. Road rage is real in California. Boy. I called Triple... Just to make this... I'll get off the story here, but I, I called AAA... And they said we'll we'll have somebody there in you know you know ten fifteen minutes. Just so happens, I believe in karma, and I believe in good karma. You do good things for other people. Um, a AAA truck with a flatbed just happened to be two cars behind me. Guy pulls up, knocks on my door. I'm like, how'd you get here so quick? He goes, I just was happy to be behind you. Puts my car on the flatbed. <clears throat> Gets off the exit, fills my tank, get back on, make the meeting. Mm. I was lucky, but that's back to good, 
the good karma. Yes. Right? Yep. Help helping others. But that LA traffic, I mean, I thought I was I yeah. was like, man, I'm gonna be here for no, six hours. No joke. I could have been there forever. No joke. I take side streets when I'm home. Do so, you? Yeah, I know I can get anywhere. anywhere. I'm sure you yeah. yeah. Sepulveda's the best. You, so <laughs> next time next time you're down there, you know. I know. I know better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you were saying, so with, with, with Cincinnati, and that's I think that's very interesting of what you say as far as, you know, like um, you know, raising a family um here in Cincinnati and you, you have a family which I wanna talk about a little bit later, kinda of bring this full circle. But uh so you're back in Cincinnati. Um what's what's now become your mission once you're you're back here and, th- and since you've come back from vegas and you're here you've been here yes this entire time so what then became your mission in life um to work with kids you know and um just to be as transparent and honest with them about uh, their journey and helping people um, without asking for anything in return mm-hmm. i think a lot of people help others but they always have their hand out at the same time so i wanted to make sure that kids can and families in general can have a place where they can know somebody's not lying to them, not using their kids, you know, in it for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do training, but I wanted what I do to be bigger than just basketball. Um, and that reflects on what we've done with our program. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, I want to take a step back real quick before I forget, um, who are some of the best players you've ever played with? Um, maybe some names people know. And maybe one or two guys that people don't know about that could have ended up being greats. Well, Danny Forson, um, first, you know, this, this dude was ridiculous. In, what, what made him so good? His hands and his, um, just his positioning. A lot of which, you know, now the game has changed, so power fours are now stretch fours. Absolutely. Um, but he, he could be playing against somebody seven foot. And, you know, Danny's what, six, seven ish. Mm-hmm. Um, he just knew how to get you off your position. Um, you know, his, just the, his body control, he had great hands, um, you know, was fearless inside, you know, didn't back down from anything. Yep. Um, so, you know, I like, you know, you get that ball inside to Danny and you know it was going to be either a good shot, a bucket, or, you know, you get into the free throw line. Um, probably some of the guys I played with, there was a guy I played with, I grew up with named Michael Stewart. Um, and I tried, actually tried to get him to come to the community college I was at, but he was so, uh, he was so caught up in the gang life, he just he couldn't see past that. Um, and that, that probably was the the point where I knew I really wanted to get out of L.A. for sure. Uh, my freshman year at community college, he was gunned down um, right after one of my games. So what, At what age? He was 19. Wow. Yep, they found him, you know, he probably 50-something bullets in his car. Um, you know, it was just... That was the end of it for me. I knew I was gone after that. Yeah. So he was one of the best players you yeah, ever he played was, against. He was, who, who was he like? Maybe Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, about the same height, real tough, could shoot it, could handle it. Um, you know, just a crazy, crazy athlete. And, you know, you, they always say the best ones never make it to the NBA. Yep. He was one of those guys. Um, you know, we've played, we played AAU growing up, you know, little rec centers and all that stuff. And, he, you know, he was a, also a pitcher. Uh, he threw three no hitters in um in high school and barely worked at it. He's yeah. just one of those guys who are naturally yep. talented. Yep. Uh, um, and there's so many there's so many stories of guys like that yep. that 
you know, never make it for whatever particular reason that we never hear about. I always run into people from different parts of the country and they'll always tell me, I met a guy from North Carolina and he told me about a guy who played street ball and he said, James Worthy, Michael Jordan, and a bunch of people all went to this street ball court to play and no one could guard this dude. Yep. But he was so deep in the drug game, he couldn't get out. Yep. But nobody could stop him. And James Worthy tried and tried, like, we got to get you to college. But he was it was too deep. Yep. And Michael couldn't guard him. James Worthy was a beast. He couldn't guard him. But there are many stories like that. And unfortunately, yep. you know. Everybody has a – every city has a hood hero is what I call them. So, <laughs> Facts. Yeah, you know, they just – for whatever reason, they can't get past that, that uh, gang life or whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah, there were there have been some in uh, in Cincinnati uh, for sure. Um, so, you know, one of the things is the work you're doing now. Um, and as I said before, when we started, I think has a lot to do with with your journey um, and where you are now. You have AAU teams, your training and what you're doing um, besides basketball, as I call teaching the game of life through basketball. Um, I'm sure you have an even bigger mission and more things you want to accomplish. Are there some things you want to talk about in regards to that? Yeah, so we, we do a lot in the community. We work a lot through uh, Cincinnati Public Schools um, where we donate coats, you know, hats, uh, scarves in the wintertime, um, school supplies, backpacks. We do um, a back-to-school ha- haircut um, for the inner-city kids uh, mm-hmm. over in uh, that Madisonville area yep. um, in the Hartwell area, Carthage. Um, you know, we do, we did turkey giveaways for families that, um, were affected by uh, gun violence over at Roll Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a community cleanup at Hartwell. Um, we do, um, we help kids with clothes and shoes at Riverview East Academy. Uh, we're just all over the place. Uh, we recently, um, just served the homeless over, uh, Thanksgiving, um, Thanksgiving day, matter of fact, uh, fed over a hundred homeless people. Um, and then you and I have our projects that we're working on as well, where we're um, helping kids in Avondale and throughout the city. Yep. Um, you know, same thing with clothes and basic needs, um, things that normal people would just take for granted um, that, you know, these kids are struggling with. For sure. And I, I mean, I, I think that's the work you're doing is, is unbelievable um, because and you and I talked, I think we ran into each other in Kroger mm-hmm. one day and we were talking about the gun violence that's not only hitting our city of Cincinnati, and I know Avondale's become an area in which that's getting hit hard, but just around the country, too, with, with gun violence. I know when I was growing up, I grew up playing on Reading Road, a place called, the court was called Sugar and Spice because of the restaurant that was there. And I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Yep. So I grew up playing on that basketball court, and there were, I mean, there were some tough dudes um, from, from different areas that played on that court, but... I never, ever saw a gun. There were fights. People got beat up. But people got up, went home, came back the next day. Yep. No, nobody, you know, but, but it's different now. Not to say people didn't get shot back then, but I just didn't see that. But now, somebody gets in a fight, they're going to get a gun in some of these areas. Am I right? Yes. So we are, um, I'm also working with a couple of Cincinnati police officers and um, Josh Harden through uh, yep. Cincinnati Public Schools to provide kids different opportunities um, and try to get the guns off the streets. Uh, we've come up with a, you know, uh, several ideas of that hopefully we can implement here soon. 
Um, it's just it's sad to watch. You know, we live, we bought a home in the North Avondale area, so it affects us. Um, obviously, we I have a son, and I don't want him to. I want him to grow up with a chance, um, not be hit by a stray bullet. Um, you like know, you, have like to you go, were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And have to go through things that I went through. Uh, I want a better life for him, um, which is you know, like we talked about being here is you know safer, but it's lately it seems like back what i grew up with yeah for sure and i, I want to give you um some big props not only what you're what you're doing but it's one thing when you do work to help others and it's another thing um if people can check out charles's social media um the work you're doing as a father um and i think that's very important um i've noticed through your social media um your son is probably as well traveled <laughs> as any kid or in some cases, any adult. Um, I'm getting a lot of head <laughs> head nods in here right now, so that's true. But I think what you've created that I think is really special, and I was with you and your son when we did our um, event at the uh, Boys and Girls Club in Avondale, yep. was your son, without really knowing me that well, without knowing everyone that was in that gym, I think everybody was his friend within two minutes. That's impressive. That's He's cultured. Yep. Right. He's you've taken him many places. You've taught him how to be respectful of others. And, and just that's that's impressive to me. So I want to give you hats off for, for that, of being that type of father. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, uh, the, I didn't have a, a father figure growing up. So I always said when I did have a son, uh, he was going to be with me 24 seven. We're going to travel together. We're going to do everything together. But he's not going to be my friend. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be his dad first, for sure, um, and make sure that you know that is in place. And we have boundaries, but we also have uh, love for one another. And I was gonna wanted to teach him to be, um, you know, a good citizen, a, a good person, more than you know, looking to just get his all the time. Um, so we we talk about helping others a lot. You know, we travel around the country um, and, and doing works around the country. And when we go home, we do stuff um, in the community. Even when we travel for fun, we do we find any hood in every place we're at uh-huh. um, and do stuff in the community. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a chance to train our Armenian national team, um, so we went over there for about two weeks. Um, the same thing, he was right with the kids, um, and those and that that was an eye opening thing. You you think we have it bad over here, but even uh, they didn't have toilets. Wow! Like there was just holes in the ground. Different level um, of whole poverty. Different whole different level of poverty. Um, but, you know, they were gracious. They showed us all around the country, and they treated us like we were family. Uh, and that was a great experience to share with him. Um, and, you know, every year we do three or four events uh, where we, you know, could travel the country and, you know, just see what's out there. And I want him to, like you said, be cultured and realize that he's fortunate in the life that he lives. And I think what happens is now when he becomes an adult and he has a kid or kids, he's going to do the same thing, and now he's creating a cycle of good people um but 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 back to something you said a second ago um you grew up without a father and you said when i have a son i'm going to be with my son 24 7. people say that but then when it comes time they disappear like some people's dad or or don't be that you followed through i think that's something like you said it and you followed through i've i can name many situations of people that I know that didn't follow through. So kudos to you on that. And shout out your social media so people can follow you. Um, it's Midwest Takeover um, on Twitter, uh, MW Takeover. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a little bit crazy. We, we, we're all over the place. You may see some tra crazy training videos with our girls and our boys. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan and, and they're a big critic um, <laughs> on the boys and the girls' side. But, again, I try to keep it as real as possible with them. Um, we, we talk about a lot of social issues on there, we, um, you know, from, you know, poverty to gun violence to, you know, what's going on in politics and race and a little bit of everything. Yeah. Stuff that young people should, should know about and talk about. So the last thing that I want to dive into uh, on Saturday, the Bearcats take on the Musketeers. And this game's going to be at the Centos Center, so at Xavier. Um, going to be a very interesting game. Um, neither team <clears throat> is as dominant as your team was um, your first year. Um, I believe number one in the country. Yep, first Correct. time since the uh, 60s. Matter of fact, when we were number one in the country. And you guys are playing at home. So you look at it, you're number one in the country, you're at home, um, you have NBA, future NBA players on your team, um, a stacked roster, in my opinion, um, going against the Xavier team that we should beat yep. at the end of the day in our, in our crib. We should beat them. Um, but it didn't, it didn't go that way. Take us through that game. Um, well, I think we had a little bit of foul trouble with Flint, and um, I think Danny ended up fouling out that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, at one point, we had a 12-point lead and kind of let it whittle away. Um, just, you know, missing assignments, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, towards the end of the game, I think we were up one or two or something like that. I think it was one. Um, and I used this, that last situation as a teaching tool to my point guards um, and have since the that play, um, I'm, instead of taking my time getting up the floor, breaking their pressure, I race up the floor, lose the ball off my foot. Um, timeout is called. They draw up a play. And then I think it's Lenny Williams gets the ball. Lenny Brown. Lenny Brown. Lenny Brown gets the ball. Yeah. Uh, makes a jump shot over, stretch their arms, and they end up beating us at home. By two, yep. right? So I'm laid out on the floor. And, um, you know, I remember after the game, a couple of people, were, you know, the media wanted to talk and – some of our coaches are like, oh, you don't have to talk, but you don't you don't back down from, you know, your mistakes. So I go in, talk about it, and you know, in a day we move on to the next situation. So I watched that game, and there is an image of you, and I'll never forget this: when you were dribbling the basketball and it went off your foot, you were sitting on the ground. Mm -hmm. you, have you ever seen that picture? Yep. And the look on your face. Um. And I, I see that picture from time to time, you know, just, you know, Bearcat pictures pop up. What was going through your mind right at that time? Yeah. Actually, um, I knew my brother, my, uh, my boys back home was going to talk crap to me. So I was, <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> honestly, that was the first thing. Cause in this, <laughs> when I got back, my phone was blowing up. Oh, you bummed. And this is my brother. You oh, bummed. Man. But you know, that's, you know, we talk crap to each other. So, I mean, anybody else talking to me, it didn't bother me. They're not going to say anything worse than what my buddies are going to tell me. So, yeah, these are guys back yeah. home. Oh, that's yeah. different. Yeah, so that's immediately what I thought was like, oh, boy, when I get home, these guys are going to be killing me. And then with turning the ball over and then Lenny Brown coming down and hitting that shot. Yep. I mean, that's got to – that's got to hit home right there. And like you said, that's a great teachable moment to where you can show that yep. to, you know, your student athletes, to your son – you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. that's a great teachable moment. Yep. Well, so uh, <laughs> not only from a basketball perspective, but 
life isn't rushed all the time. So mm. you need to be able to take your time. Mm. Um, and that was a, a moment for me where I, I felt rushed instead of looking at the situation for what it was. I had all the time I needed. Um, I was in a hurry to get nowhere. So I ended up with a bad result. So I know, I know certain players, um, basketball, football, I've heard of them as they've had in games maybe low moments that particular picture of that low moment they've blown it up and framed it and put it in their house would you ever blow up that picture of you sitting on the ground and blow it up and, and put it in the house to look at it's not a low moment for me mm. so I'm like, explain like uh, my whole situation like how i came up uh, being uh, that's not worse than being shot that's not worse than being homeless facts like i grew up we didn't at one point we didn't have a house to live in you know, I, I grew up where we, sometimes we didn't have food, so losing the basketball off my foot is, not to say it's not a big deal, but it's not a, a defining moment of my life. Mm. That's, that's, that's a good point. That's strong. Well, hey, Charles, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on. You're my first guest. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. And I, th I thought it was, this was a great first um, guest to have would be you not only because i think you're like i said your journey's not i think documented and people need to see that and what you're doing now you didn't just fold you could easily fold it yeah um but you stood strong and probably even more importantly you're giving back and you're you're teaching about what you've what you've gone through and i think that's very impressive um you know, I've tried to do the same, and, and hopefully more Bearcat players, more athletes do that. And I think we could have a, a lot better world. Yep. You know. Yep. So we're, we're all in positions where we can influence a lot of people to do good things in the community and around, you know, the city. Hopefully, um, like I said, people will open their hearts and minds to do bigger things, not just uh, feel a need to do things for themselves. Yep. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on and being that first guest. You were great. And so I want to thank everybody for listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. MidwestTakeover.com. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck in that shout out. Okay.